Welcome, guys. If we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as one of the pastors, along with Herrick, my wife, Ebony. She is in kids. Um, and Heather, I believe that the Burger kids are ill. Um, we were kind of talking about it earlier today, but I feel like there's so many sicknesses and stuff going through the church right now. So you guys are the ones that probably have the strongest uh, immune system. So congratulations. Uh, you have not got the, the plague that is going around, not just the church, but the valley. Um, yeah, this morning, we are in week two of a series we're going through, like a, a short Christmas series. We're calling the series Joy to the World. Uh, Christmas has this interesting way of, uh, I should say the Christmas season has an interesting way of kind of like keeping us from joy. If you're anything like me, it can be hard to experience the joy that I believe God intends for us to experience in Christmas because of one of two things. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I feel like most people, not all people, but most people fall into one of two categories around Christmas time. Uh, You're either really busy, so your schedule is like packed, Okay, uh, shopping and, um, and events and decorating and all the things that come into the Christmas season, right? So you're busy. Um, and then you have the stress of like the financial realities of, of gifts and uh, all the stuff, right? It's the end of the year. You can just get kind of overwhelmed and busy and stressed. That's one kind of type of person usually. The other type of person is someone who's experiencing pain. Somebody who is like, you're suffering, man. There's this, there's this thing about Christmas that reminds us of, of that things aren't the way they should be or aren't the way they used to be, um, whether it's loss of a loved one or the reminder of like just feelings of loneliness. Um, if, you're, if you're single and you don't want to be single, you don't feel called to singleness, like something about Christmas that just kind of like brings that to the surface in this weird kind of way. So Christmas, the Christmas season has this tendency sometimes to actually keep us from experiencing joy. But I'm convinced that the Bible, I'm convinced that the Christmas story, I'm convinced that who God is and what he's done says something else. I'm convinced that there's this opportunity for us to experience an overpowering joy, like a joy that surpasses uh, uh, the, the, the busyness and it, it, it's louder than even the suffering that we experience in our lives. <clears throat> Now, uh, we talked about this too last week, but this is week two of this series. Uh, we're kind of climaxing, and the finale of this series is going to be next week. But like Herrick mentioned, it's not going to be like a sermon. It's not gonna, the climax of it is not going to be um, necessarily a traditional worship gathering. We're still going to have a worship gathering. The church is not this. Like the, this is an event. This is the, the church gathered. Uh, the church is on a building. It's on a business. It's not something that you attend. You don't go to church. The church, biblically speaking, is the family of God. We relate to God as father, to each other as brothers and sisters. So the finale of this series is going to be us gathering together next Sunday um, around the table. Honestly, we're going to gather together and we're going to celebrate. We're going to party. We're going to give ourselves over to celebration. Um, if you've been tracking with us, journeying with us at any time over the last couple of several months, one of the things that we are passionate about is being a people who celebrate. And not go through the motions of celebration, but actually give our hearts over to experiencing the joy and celebrating the blessings that we have because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done. And that's the whole point of our Christmas party. That's the whole point of this climaxing Christmas series, uh, the climax of this Christmas series, Joy to the World. We want to experience joy. We want to give ourselves over to celebration because the goal of our party, the goal of this series is joy. Like at a heart level, right? <clears throat> so, Herrick uh, kind of already gave you uh, the, the, the last call to RSVP. Listen, everybody's invited. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to hype this thing up too much. But, like, it's going to be rad. <laughs> this party's going to be great. The food's going to be amazing. The drink's going to be amazing. Uh, the kids, uh, Jules and Tracy and some of the team have been like, the kids are so cute. I watched them rehearse this stuff. What was it, on Tuesday? And like I walk and I, I'm like peeking into the room because I don't want anyone to see me. And the kids are like singing to Jesus. And I'm just like trying not to cry in the corner because it's beautiful. It's going to be a special night. I can't encourage you enough. Join us. RSVP. You can do it on the app. Probably the easiest way is right there on the homepage of the app. Everyone's invited. Okay. That's my, that's my plug for the Christmas party. I'm done with that. Okay. So. Uh, last week, just to kind of bring us up to, up to speed on this series, last week we talked about 
uh, the promise of Christmas and how special that is. How that, like, from the beginning, okay, ever since sin and death first entered the world, Genesis chapter 3, right? Adam and Eve sin. Ever since the very beginning, sin enters the world, God makes this, this beautiful promise. He makes this promise that he's going to send a savior. Okay, he's going to send like a deliverer. All right, we talked about this, and we talked about how the, like, the, 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 like the joy that he's finally here. And we, we, used, uh, we used Dylan as the analogy of like he's gone on deployment, and like when he came back, it was like we've been praying for him that he'd come back before the baby came and before Christmas, and he was like finally here. It's like that's a small taste, a small picture of the joy that we get to experience as the people of God. That like the deliverer, the savior, the promised one from generation to generation to generation, thousands of years, he's finally here. Okay, you can listen back to that. I think it's on the podcast now um, if you missed it. But this morning, go ahead, grab your Bibles. We're gonna jump in. We're gonna start. I'm gonna read a bunch of scripture this morning, more than normal, uh, but I think it's important. We're gonna start in Matthew chapter one. So go ahead and flip there in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be up on the screen for you. Um, I typically preach out of the ESV translation. Um, it's one of my favorites. I, uh, it's my favorite to study in, um, and that's what I'll be in this morning. So the ESV, you can go ahead and flip there. And while you're flipping there, um, I'm going to pray for us. Okay, will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for being with us. Uh, my desire this morning and the request that I make to you is I really want all of us to have a, more of an awareness of who you are. Because I'm convinced that if we have more of an awareness of who you are, it can transform us. It can transform our desires. It can transform our behavior. Um, it can, you have the power to affect us, God. And that's my prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would like prop up Jesus this morning. We want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to experience his love more profoundly. Um, and I pray also just for faith to respond to it, each of us this morning. I pray peace over the room. I, I want to honor these people, these precious men and women. It means so much to me. I want to honor them. So would you please, Holy Spirit, like take anything out of my mouth that you don't want said. Um, I want Jesus to be lifted up and glorified this morning. Nothing else. So we love you. We trust you, Jesus, in your holy and beautiful name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter one, hopefully you're there by now. Uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read a, a passage of scripture um, that kind of goes through a bit of the Christmas story. I'm gonna read a passage here from Matthew um, about Christmas, and then I'm gonna jump over to Luke because there's two kind of accounts in the Christmas story, okay? And like I said, little, actually a lot more scripture than normal, uh, but it's important, so stay with me, okay? So Matthew chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 18. Uh, I'm gonna read, you can follow along, okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We talked about this last week really quick, but the, the name Jesus, it literally means God saves. Okay, so that's what he's getting to here. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but, he, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. That means they, didn't, they weren't intimate, okay? And he called his name Jesus. Keep going into, into chapter two here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem, the whole city, with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one, was to be born. Okay, really quickly, King Herod. Uh, those of you guys that are like history nerds, you'll kind of already know King Herod's story, but uh, King Herod was a nasty dude. Okay, not a good guy. Uh, So what happens is he hears about this, like another king being born, like a promised king, right? The king of the Jews, and he's not happy about it. So what he does is he asks, where's this promised king? Like, where's he going to be born? Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Um, he asked them, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and they referenced the prophecy that Jesus, the promised one, would be born in Bethlehem. And you, this is the prophecy, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, I love this language, who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod, nasty king, Summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, the promised one, right? And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Really quickly, King Herod did not want to worship him. Uh, You'll see in just a minute what he was really after, okay? Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was, the promised one. The king of the Jews, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, really quickly, these wise men, they're not Jews. They're non-Jews. They're they're Gentiles. Okay, verse 13. And and, and they worship this promised king. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, Joseph, and he rose and and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay, again, another prophecy about this promised one. Check this out, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed, listen to this, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Okay, really quick. King Herod, uh, he's so paranoid about protecting his throne, he kills all the babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Like, that's pretty crazy. Can we just acknowledge that? It's nuts. Uh, What he wanted to do is he wanted to make sure that there was absolutely no chance of this new king surviving because that was a threat to his throne. Are you tracking with me? I want to hear you this morning. Yeah? Okay, great. All right, so really quickly, turn over to Luke chapter 2. It's going to be this way in your Bible. Flip. Okay, I'm going to read you really quickly a portion of Luke's account of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, it's only going to be a few, like 14 verses. I'll fly through them, but track with me. This is really important, okay? Luke chapter 2, words will be on the screen. Awesome. Luke chapter 2, starting verse 1. Another account, okay? <clears throat> In those days, again, the days of Jesus' birth, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, different ruler, Caesar Augustus, that all the world shall be registered. It's like a census, Okay? This was the first registration when uh, was governor of Syria. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Uh, Verse 3, and all went to be registered, each with his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. It's basically kind of like engagement, but like a little more intense, Um, not quite marriage, who was with child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, I love this, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel, uh, I'm sorry, and and, there, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praying God and saying, this is like all the angels in heaven, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, this morning I want to talk about two things. Okay, if you're taking notes, write these down. The first is this. We want to talk about what Christmas tells us about God. <clears throat> Last week we talked about the promise this week, what does Christmas tell us about God? And the second thing is, how can what Christmas tells us about God, how can that actually bring us joy? How is it more than just concepts, more than just information? How can it actually move us at a heart level? Okay, so let's jump in. What, can, yeah, what Christmas tells us about God? Okay, first, kind of do some historical kind of background information here. It's important. Both of these passages, in Matthew and in Luke, they mentioned the rulers at the time. Okay, so it's like if, if we were to pen a letter now and we were saying, you know, it's 2018 in the, the year of Donald Trump's first presidency and or whatever country you're from, like you're, you're referencing that as like the time period of who's ruling, who's in power, who's in authority. You tracking with me? Okay, both Matthew and Luke mentioned the rulers at the time. They mentioned King Herod and they mentioned Caesar Augustus. Did you notice this? Okay, now it's important to understand these guys a little bit. Uh, again, if you geek out on history kind of like I do, this will be fun for you. If not, just I'll stay with me, okay? King Herod, he was the king of the region of Judea, okay, during the time of Jesus' birth. He was known as Herod the Great. Um, some scholars believe that he gave himself that name, uh, Herod the Great, but the thing is he was not a great guy, <laughs> okay? He was not a great guy at all. The dude married 10 women. He, uh, he had 15 children, uh, his, his favorite wife, her name was Miriam I, okay? And according to uh, ancient historian Josephus, he said this, Herod was so protective of her, you know, Miriam, his favorite of the 15, I'm sorry, his favorite of the 10, Herod was so protective of her that he instructed his soldiers to kill her if anything were to happen to him while he was traveling abroad. So loving. What a guy, okay? Uh, later, he would have her parents killed, and then he followed that up by killing her because he was so paranoid and so like whacked in his brain, okay? Essentially, history records King Herod as like this paranoid tyrant, okay? The dude was so paranoid that he even killed two of his own sons to protect his throne. I mean, we just read that he killed all the babies in Bethlehem because he's paranoid about any threat to his throne, to his kingship. Um, scholars record that he died like a really kind of gross, like, I don't know, like a, like a miserable death. He basically died of an STD. Uh, I could get into details, but it's just not worth it. It's pretty gross. Just take my word for it. Uh, but here's something that's gnarly about King Herod. Before he died, he gave two specific orders um, that he wanted his, uh, like he wanted his, his people to carry out his, like his, I guess his soldiers or whatever. Um, he wanted his, his, yeah, I can't think of the, the name of it, but he wanted his crew to carry out these orders right around the time that he was going to pass away. Here's what the first one was. He gave an order to execute the Jewish elders so that the people would be mourning during his death. So he's like, he wants people to cry that he's died, but they don't like him because he's a terrible person and he's like a terrible ruler. So he gives orders to kill their, like, essentially they're like their leaders of and shepherds in their society so that they'll mourn when he dies. It's nasty, okay? And the other, the second one was he wanted um, another one of his sons to be executed. So, Herod, uh, pretty awful guy. Um, before we jump into Caesar Augustus, I want you to just consider for a moment, I just give you a snapshot about this guy's rule and reign, okay? He did a bunch of other stuff, massive, like he built a ton of stuff, 
But I want you to just consider for a second, like, what it must have been like to be under Herod's rule. I don't think it would have been very fun. Let's go to Caesar Augustus, okay? Caesar Augustus, you guys, there's history buffs in the room. You probably know more about this than I do. But either way, Caesar Augustus, first emperor of Rome, okay? You guys are familiar with Rome. Empire, you know, like the soup, the first kind of, not first, but like one of the biggest superpowers in history, right? Uh, Caesar Augustus, he was famous for ushering in the Pax Romana, right? Which is like the peace of Rome. It's this 200-ish year period of time where there's like prosperity in Rome. They expanded their territory, like all, like more than, like, uh, what would you say? Like uh, at the biggest it ever got was during this period, okay? And it got so big that, they, that scholars believe that there was an estimated like 70 million people was the population of the, of the empire of Rome during the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, this 200-year period that would have been a third of the world's population. That's pretty intense. So it's like if you ever play the game Risk, like you have most of the board, okay? That's what was going on here. Um, so Caesar Augustus, this powerful ruler, right? This, this conquering king. He ushered in the Pax Romana, but the Pax Romana wasn't as peaceful as you might think. Okay, I read a little bit from this biography um, on Caesar Augustus. This guy, Anthony Everett, wrote it. He says this quote, the story of his career, Caesar Augustus, right, shows us that Augustus was indeed ruthless, cruel, and ambitious for himself. While fighting for dominance, he paid little attention to legality or to the normal civilities of political life. He was devious, untrustworthy, and bloodthirsty. So, we have these two rulers, okay, these two kings. You have Herod, you have Caesar Augustus. And their rule can essentially be characterized as, like, selfish. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I really, um, that kind of just gets me fired up and angry, um, I have a really hard time, is when you see the abuse of power. Um, like, politicians are so easy to pick on when we talk about this. Like, corruption, and they use their power um, for their own benefit, and it's just, yeah, they're abusing their power. But we see it other places, too. Sometimes we see it in law enforcement, unfortunately. Sometimes we even see it at pastors. So there's not really an area of life that's kind of off limits from corruption and abuse of power. And maybe you're like me, maybe you get angry I find myself getting angry. Uh, Someone this morning mentioned something to me about a pastor, and we're seeing these trends of of, of spiritual leaders in the household of God abusing their power. Sorry, I'm gonna get like, I'm gonna lose it. They use their power and their authority in just disgusting ways, okay? There's no area that's off limits with this. It happens everywhere, this idea of abuse of power, and it makes me angry. People who use their power and their authority to benefit themselves. But what's sobering is that the truth is the only thing that separates you and I from guys like Herod and Caesar is we typically don't have access to the kind of power that they had. Like, you know, the famous quote, right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, the truth is all people, everybody, we all have these sinful desires. And usually sin manifests itself as selfishness. And basically, I choose me over you. This idea of selfishness. I'm the priority, okay? So any person myself included, any person in a position of absolute power is still a selfish person, still with selfish, sinful desires. Guys, hear me say this. The truth is, all of us, we're no different than Herod. We're no different than Caesar Augustus or any imperfect ruler or leader before them or since them. We just don't have the opportunity for power that these guys had. But here's the thing. These passages, they mention another king. Did you notice it? What's the other king it mentions? You know it's Jesus, but the king of the Jews. There's another king going on here, right? So for the rest of my time, what I want to do is I want to use this Christmas story, and I want to compare King Jesus 
with every other ruler in the history of the world, past, present, future. Okay? And in doing so, stay with me, I think Christmas can teach all of us a ton about what God is really like. His character. That he's different. Okay, so first thing. I want you to consider for just a moment. Uh, It tends to kind of like fly over our heads and not be this spectacular, amazing reality. I'm guilty of it too, but consider for a moment that God, creator of all things, all-powerful, all-knowing, like everlasting, he's existed forever, like God, think about this, became a baby. Just, just, Just sit there for just a second, okay? Think about this. God became a baby. Um, I remember when my eldest daughter, Amelia, was born. And I remember, I remember how crazy the labor was. Uh, I also remember how tired we were when they handed her to us. And I remember thinking, like, okay, we got to get through this. And the best thing about this, if you've had kids, you know, there's like a nurse on call the whole like night that you're there, you know, and they just get you whatever you need. Like you can actually sleep. They bring you diapers. They bring you food. They check on the baby all the time, make sure they're okay. But I remember that feeling of like when you, when you, when you they check you out of the hospital and you go home for the first time, you track with me, and you're like, oh, there's not, there's not a nurse coming with us. Like they're giving us this baby. We're taking it home. Uh, like everything changes, man. I remember feeling that responsibility of like, we have to care for this baby because the baby can't care for itself. We have this responsibility. We have to care for it. Like, and that includes everything. Like, I mean, poop. Guys, I have poop stories. Like, oh, God, body fluids. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, um, those of you guys that are parents of young kids, you know when you have, like, your kid, you, you, they have to get to sleep, so you're trying to rock them to sleep in your arms, and your back right here just hurts so bad, and you're like, I gotta get this kid to sleep because it needs to develop and grow. And you, meanwhile, you haven't slept in like 30 days. <clears throat> it's just this crazy season. But the reason I share that with you is like, God became a baby. Can you think of anything more vulnerable and weak than a baby? A baby completely relies on parents to survive. So listen, the all-powerful God of the universe becomes a baby. Listen, from a worldly standpoint, that's about the least powerful thing you could be would be a baby, completely dependent on your parents to survive. Not only that, but check this out, the setting of Jesus' birth, it's not what you'd expect from like someone who's in power, from the king of the universe, his birth, like you'd expect a king to like be born into luxury, like to be born, or at least into safety. But Jesus, no, like he's born in an animal feeding trough. Think about this, he's born in an animal feeding trough. The God of the universe was born a poor refugee baby. Like, I remember, his, him and his family, they seek asylum in Egypt, we just read it. Here's what I want you to start seeing. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a humble king. Let's keep going. So one of the things about being a pastor uh, is that you start to notice different trends, um, especially different trends of non-belief, like what would cause people um, in different contexts around the world to either be drawn to the gospel or to be, like, want to reject God. Like, I have a hard time with this, okay? Like, kind of hang-ups or miss... uh, And I would say oftentimes it's because of a handful of misunderstandings. Uh, There's, like, either God's been misrepresented in some way or they have this misunderstanding of the God of the Bible, okay? And one of the things that I've noticed, one of these big misunderstandings from people actually trusting in him um, is this idea of, like, the problem of evil, Uh, essentially, like, why doesn't God stop evil? Let me read you a quote. Um, This guy, Alexander Stewart, says this, quote, God was born as a baby, grew as a human being, and walked this earth as a man. This historical reality represents perhaps one of the strongest responses to the problem of evil. 
Listen to this. Rather than remain aloof and distant, God entered our world of pain, frailty, vulnerability, suffering, and death. He walked alongside us in every way and endured the full fury of evil, oppression, and injustice. When we suffer and when we have to watch those whom we love suffer, we do so knowing that God suffered alongside us and on our behalf in order to rescue us from suffering and provide an eternal home with no tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. Guys, not only does, this, does God hate evil and sin and hate its effect that it has on people, but he can identify with us. He can identify with us. He knows what it feels like to suffer as a man. He, he knows what it feels like to be vulnerable. He knows what it feels like to be in need, to, to be betrayed, to be hurt. Um, uh, the Bible says in uh, Isaiah 53 uh, that Jesus was acquainted with grief. God knows what it feels like to grieve and be in pain and experience suffering because of the brokenness of evil and sin. He knows what that feels like as a man, as a person. And here's the thing, he doesn't just experience the effects of evil and sin, you know, like he doesn't just identify with us and go, okay, I can identify with you and call it a day. Like, he actually did something about it. I mean, we talked about this last week, but God took on flesh, became a baby. He, he, he came to defeat evil and sin once and for all, to get rid of it. I want you guys to see Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a compassionate king. He sees the effect that our sinful choices have on each other. <clears throat> so he came to identify with us and to fix the problem once and for all. You tracking with me? Yeah? Okay, let's keep moving. All right. One of my favorite things about Christmas, uh, about the story of Christmas, is this reminder that God is Emmanuel. You've, you've probably heard this, but Emmanuel just means God with us. It's this idea of his presence, right? Like, uh, and I was interested because I was thinking about it this week as I was prepping, and I was imagining what my life would look like if I actually believed that God was with me at all times. Like if I, did, if, I, if I didn't essentially call him a liar with my behavior and my thoughts, like if I actually was like, you say you're God with me, you say you're God with us, what if I actually acknowledge that to be true every moment of the day? What would my life look like? I'm convinced I would sin way less. And here's why. Because he's there. <laughs> like, I was thinking about this too. I'm like, uh, you ever like, uh, who here argues with their spouse if you're married? Raise your hand. Keep it up. Who here has other relationships in your life where you sometimes argue and don't get along, whether it's family or friends? Keep your hands up. This should be everybody in the room, okay? And here, here's what I want you to consider for just a second. Like, you know when you argue with them and you, the way you really talk when you're angry? And then imagine if, like, let's just use me because it works well with, like, the pastor. Imagine the pastor just happens to be eavesdropping in your home. You'd be like, oh, man, like, I feel kind of exposed here because I totally just yelled at my wife. Uh, maybe there's a cuss word. Maybe there wasn't. Or at least I was thinking about that there was a cuss word in my heart. <laughs> but do you know what I'm talking about? This idea of, like, being exposed in that reality. If I really believed that God was with me, my life would look so different, man. And don't get me wrong, like I, I'm, I'm diligently trying to live my life this way. But there are moments when I either forget or I choose not to remember or I'm just so preoccupied with other things that I don't take God up on his promise that he's with me. What about you? This beauty of the Christmas story is that God is Emmanuel. Like he's with you. And he's not here to condemn you. I'll get into this in just a second. That's not what Christmas is about. There's a time for that. He's coming to judge. But Christmas is different. Think about this, guys. God leaves heaven to be with us and to rescue us. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a king who leaves his throne in heaven to do the rescuing himself. He's a different king. He's a king who is present with us. More. Um, 
Not only has God a humble king, we talked about this, not only is he a compassionate king and a present king, but he's patient. Um, oftentimes people ask the question, like, why didn't God just clear things up right away? Like, his first coming, why didn't he just get rid of all evil, sin, suffering? Like, why did he just come? Why is he coming again? Like, why didn't he just knock it out, till two birds with one stone? Like, why do we still have to experience the brokenness of, of evil and sin, pain and death? God comes the first time, Christmas, as a baby, to live the perfect life in our place, to, to, to die the death that we deserve for the ways that we reject him and, and disobey him and do things our way, right? He came the first time to rescue people he dearly loves from evil and sin. Again, to, to, to give you, if you trust in Jesus, you get his perfect life, you get his record. If you trust in Jesus, he, his punishment it's, it, 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 it's the sacrifice that, that kind of washes clean the sins of your life. So he comes the first time to make a way, okay, to cover you, essentially. Um, I'll talk about his second coming in a second, but how many of you guys have seen the movie Armageddon? You know, like Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis, older movie, maybe like however long ago now. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'm totally gonna spoil it for you right now because it's been out for a long time. You should have seen this movie, okay? Uh, either way, I remember when I saw this movie, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's about, like, it was like when they made all these asteroid movies, like, the asteroids are coming to Earth, guys, we need to be afraid, so every movie in the theater was an asteroid coming for Earth and how they were going to get through this problem. So Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, uh, some other actors, they are, you know, they're the, the, the kind of heroes in the story, and there's this, this massive asteroid heading for Earth, and their plan is they're going to they're gonna take a crew of astronauts, they're going to go land on this asteroid, uh, and they're going to drill into it, and they're going to basically put these bombs and blow the thing up so it like, doesn't hit Earth when it gets closer. It just kind of scatters, okay? If you remember the movie, it's a cool movie and everything, but I remember being in the theater, and if you see in the end, like basically Bruce Willis kind of sacrifices his life to kind of save the world, um, to save his fellow astronauts. Um, and I remember being in the theater and like trying not to cry and watching all these other guys around me try not to cry. It's a vivid picture of men trying to avoid expressing their emotions with tears. But either way, um, if you're familiar with the story, Bruce Willis gets on this asteroid and he realizes someone has to be there and remain there to detonate the bomb that would, you know, blow up the asteroid and save everybody. So what he does is he, he rigs it so that, I'm paraphrasing, but he gets his astronaut team with his daughter and Ben Affleck and all these people, he gets them to safety so they can go back to Earth, but he stays behind and he detonates the bomb. And it's cool because he, he, he gets the crew to safety before the bomb goes off. Obviously, he's there, he sacrifices his life, he has, someone has to push the button, right? This isn't the best analogy, but this is kind of like what Jesus' first coming is like. He came to rescue us before the bombs go off. And here's what I mean by that. In this case, the bomb going off is his second coming, when he comes to judge sin and evil. Okay, we talked about this last week, but like, Jesus promises to come again. And his second coming is going to be different than his first coming. His first coming was to save, right? To rescue, to provide a way for us to be covered and protected from our sin, from the ways that we reject him, okay? To offer us a way to safety. But his second coming is different. His second coming is to judge. His second coming is to get rid of evil and sin. He's filtering out evil and sin from creation. You know what's crazy about that? Like, I sin. So does that mean God's going to destroy me? I deserve it. But here's the cool thing. Like, God's made a way for me. He's, he, he's, he's made a way for me to not be on the asteroid when the bombs go off. That's the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Trusting in that. Are you tracking with me? I know it's not the best analogy, but I needed something this morning. <laughs> His agenda, his second coming to punish evil and sin, to destroy the, the asteroid of evil and sin once and for all, okay? So here's what I want you to see. Not only is God the kind of king that leaves his throne to come and rescue us himself, 
but he's patient. Let me read you 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord, listen to this, just listen in. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. That promise is him coming back to, get rid, to destroy evil and sin. Once and for all, get rid of it. Sin, Satan, death, cancer, gone. Okay? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet, the reason he hasn't come back again yet is because he's patiently waiting for those who haven't trusted in him yet. The trust in him to to get off the asteroid before the bomb goes off. Friends, Jesus is a different kind of king. He's He's a patient king. All right, my last point here quick about how Jesus is a different kind of king than any other king um, consider Caesar Augustus for a moment, one of the most famous rulers in history. His reign, his reign is over. Think about King Herod, like ruled in power. His reign is over. I don't know if you know this, but there are over two billion people worldwide who identify as a Christian. Two billion. Every other ruler, every other king, their reign comes to an end. Yet the rule and the reign of Jesus remains strong 2,000 years later. Friends, Jesus is a different kind of king, he's the supreme king. And he invites each of us to experience the joy and the peace of living under his rule and reign. But here's the thing, guys. The Bible tells us, the Bible's clear, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. Jesus is either the king over every area of your life, like nothing's off limits. He's either the king over your sexuality and your wallet and your calendar and your mouth and your stomach, all of it. He's either the king over every area of your life or he's not. And if he's not, then something or someone else is. Oftentimes when I reflect on my life, so much of my reflection is identifying the different kings in my life. Whether it's maybe Jesus is the king of my sermon prep but maybe he's not the king of my calendar. And I go way too hard and I neglect my kids and I neglect my wife and eventually I'm, less, I'm not an effective pastor and life spirals out of control because I'm, I'm sitting under the rule and reign of a king that isn't Jesus in an area of my life. Let me read you a quote, one more for you. Uh, theologian Andreas Kostenberger says this, Jesus divide, quote, Jesus divides humanity between those who submit to his rule through allegiance and belief and those who reject his rule over their lives. Every human being falls into one of these two categories. There is no third or neutral option. The baby who was born in humility and vulnerability will one day return to rule with power and strength. For now... People still have time to embrace his rule, to change sides, but that period won't last forever. God will not postpone his final salvation and judgment indefinitely. Friends, if I'm honest, way too often, I want to be the king of my life. I'm just being honest with you. I want to be the king of my life. I want to rule and reign, I want to call the shots. I want the timing of what I want to happen when I want. I want to be king. And here's the thing. When I find myself in that place, the truth is I'm rejecting Jesus as king. I'll take the crown. I'll take the throne. And guys, listen. That is the root of all sin. The root of all sin is rejecting the rule and reign of Jesus. But listen to me, that's what makes Christmas so flipping beautiful. Because God, 
like the true king, the supreme king. He came to rescue me from trying to be my own king because he loves me and he gave himself for me because I'm just like Herod, I'm just like Caesar Augustus, I'm a selfish king. But Jesus is a different kind of king. So I'll close with this. I'll call the band on up. You guys can come up. I'm almost done. Um, I want to close with, I want to read you, I referenced this a little bit last week, but I want to read you one of over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament about this promised Messiah, this promised Savior, this King. Okay, I'm going to read you out of Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read you two verses, verse 6 and verse 7. Listen into this, okay? Generations before Jesus is actually on the scene and born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of, what does it say? Peace. Verse seven, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from, the, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Guys, Caesar, Augustus, Herod, and every other king, their rule and their reign comes to an end, but Jesus is different. It says what? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be what? No end. No end. Jesus is a different king. He's an eternal king. And listen to me. If you see him clearly, like if you see him for who he truly is, he's absolutely irresistible. He's a humble king. He's a compassionate king. Listen to me. That means he cares about what you're going through. He's a king who leaves his throne to do the rescuing with himself. That means he's with you. He's Emmanuel. He's not distant. He's not inconvenienced by you or your struggle. He's a patient king. He's calling us. And he alone is the supreme king. Guys, no one is like King Jesus. Nobody even comes close. So here's my question for you this morning. And it's a really important one. Do you align with King Jesus? Like, I'm not asking you if you believe he's real. I'm asking you if he's your king. Like, today. I'm not asking you if he was your king yesterday even. I'm asking you if he's your king today, this morning. Listen, I'm not even asking you if he's your savior. I'm asking you if he's your Lord. Those are two different things. Guys, Christmas is so special. Christmas is so beautiful. There's so much power in Christmas. Christmas has the power to bring us great joy for all people because it tells us that Jesus is the only king whose rule and reign can actually bring us peace, peace with God and peace with each other, peace with the whole world. Guys, Jesus is the only king who uses his authority selflessly instead of selfishly. Here's what this means. It means he's the only king whose agenda, hear me say this, he's the only king whose agenda is your joy. That's amazing. And guys, he was willing to do whatever it took to provide you with everlasting eternal joy. He was, able to, he was willing to do whatever it took even at the cost of his own life. There's no other kings like that. 
Only, only Jesus. My friend, do you have peace this Christmas? Like this season, do you have peace? Where's the busyness or the stress or the suffering and the pain? Is it robbing you of joy? Is it, is it taking away your peace? Do you have peace? Christmas is this invitation. If, if you want peace, you can have it. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? I'm going to listen for just a bit and I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go into a time of ministry. Holy Spirit, show me how to pray. I might be way off on this, but I get the sense that um, there are some of us who are struggling with feelings of condemnation this morning. Um, Like you've been belittled in some specific ways. Um, And kind of some of these reoccurring, like you remember these ways that you've been belittled, these ways that you've been kind of put down even. And, and that's your area of suffering right now. And I'd, um, I just want to take a moment. I want to pray for you today. Uh, I'd love for you to come. Uh, just come find me. I want to pray for you. Um, but for the rest of us, I want to pray over us um, that we would be not just two things. I want to pray that we would receive um, the love of the king of the universe. We actually trust in it, that we'd receive that love that he declares for us and that we'd give some back to him and to the people around us. So Father, I, I thank you for the ways that you, infinite, in your infinite wisdom, you, are, uh, you pursue us and you're gracious with us and compassionate and humble and patient um, and supreme. And, I, and I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts so that we can actually receive the love that you have for us this Christmas. The reality of that love that it wouldn't be like um, a faith that like our, maybe even our parents had that we were kind of uh, uh, brought into, but it would be ours. We'd receive the love that you have for us and not just acknowledge it for other people, but actually receive it for, for, for me, for us as an individual this morning. And that this would be like the Christmas where we get to actually experience that joy. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd enable every heart and mind to receive that this morning, receive the love. And then I also pray that as we receive it more and more, that we would be men and women who are kind of radically loving to the people around us because we've received a radical love. That it would be this beautiful cycle. We are not people who are impatient because we've experienced the patience of God. We are not people who are self-centered and selfish because we've received the the, um, the humbling love of God. Like, let us be more like Jesus, Holy Spirit. Let us be more like our King. Let us be different not for the sake of getting any glory or, a- or accolade or acclaim, but for the sake of your kingdom coming in our hearts and in our minds and in this valley and in this state and in this planet. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Minister to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.